You're listening to the Players Podcast, brought to you by international rugby players. Hey there, and welcome to episode 17 of the Players Podcast. I'm Owen McHugh, and today my guest is locked down like the rest of us, former All Black and two-time Rugby World Cup winner and fellow staff member here at International Rugby Players, Conrad Smith. Now, as long as the big man's been working with us, I've been meaning to talk to him properly about his time with the All Blacks, but in particular how it was being part of the squads that won the Webb Ellis Trophy in 2011 and in 2015 in England. And so, what better time than the present? So, Rugby World Cup 2011, before we actually go to New Zealand, come back to World Cup 2007, knocked out in the quarterfinals against France. And that was probably the start then of the road to 2011. Can you remember, can you recall what it was like in that dressing room after the quarterfinal against France? With the uh, yeah, for sure. It's, you know, I was, I was pretty young. I was, I was one of the younger members of the team then and um, I hadn't played in the game, but, but sitting and seeing, you know, some of my sort of heroes that I was playing with, um, just broken, you know, broken over a game of rugby, which you know, for, for me still feels wrong. I know, I know what World Cups are like and I know the pressure that players are under, but to still see those sort of scenes and that sort of heartache, it, it's still, it's, it's tough to take for anyone, you know, um, particularly for a young player, let's say looking up at these these guys who were broken in tears, um, Anton Oliver, Chris Jack, she, you know, all of these guys um, been in the All Black team for a long time and, and their dream of uh, finishing it with a World Cup victory, you know, had been shattered in a, in a game that, you know, they'll still, I'm sure, will, will be a, you know, a black mark in, the, in their minds. It's the way it is for, for rugby players. So um, it was certainly, a, you know, hurt. And um, I think looking back, um, like you say, it, it did as much as it hurt. It, it led to um, some a lot of change within the All Blacks, and they, I think, um, in a smart move, they they kept the coaching large majority of the coaching team together, and um, and kept faith with a lot of the players. Obviously, a, a lot moved on, but the guys that stayed in New Zealand were still selected, and and that sort of group formed the basis, you know, of, of the team that went on to, for the next four years to prepare for, for a chance of sort of redemption and, and to win a World Cup um, at home. Were you surprised in the fallout from 07 that, uh, that um, Graeme Henry and, and uh, his backroom staff were kept on? Because there was a lot of talk about Robbie Deans and there was a lot of talk about um, what might happen. Um, I, I don't know if I was surprised. I mean, I was, I was happy. I... I um, because that's you know one of the things that hurts the most when you you go through a result like that um, is you feel like all the good work is going to be overlooked and I, I felt like anyone in that team there, there were things that we did wrong um, but there was so much that was we did well and and that just so quickly gets swept away when you have a result like that and that, and that's that's rugby that's sport um, you live and die by that but. Um, so I, I suppose you know what I'm saying is I was I was happy I, I didn't you know I wasn't ever a player to take much of attention of you know what the mood was like I didn't read papers and things so I didn't know I knew obviously with being in Kiwi you, you're aware of how badly um, the result would have gone down with New Zealand but I, 
I, I was still confident that, um, well, I knew the coaching team was the best coaching team I'd ever had, and, and I knew they were very, very good. So uh, I was obviously a player in the mix. So um, for them to, to still be there and, and the chance to, to prove myself again for them and within the team was, was a good thing for me, I thought. And then moving into 2008 and 2009, did you become one of the senior players automatically? I know there was a group of about seven or eight players who maybe took the lead uh, outside of the coaching team. Were you automatically one of those senior players or how did that group work and what was the dynamic there? You know, it's 2008, so I, you know, that was the first time I, that's when me and Ma started playing together in the midfield, um, World Cup, the following Tri-Nations and they were the first, they were my first games even in a Tri-Nations as it was then. Um, up until then I'd only played um, on end-year tours. As a, again, you know, I was young, I was sort of a, a development player and I had a few injuries so um, I certainly wasn't a leader at that stage and then I think it was about 2009 or even 2010 when you know we'd had leadership groups before that but um, that was when I was sort of up to come into the group and I, I think because um, it was another big moment um, for in terms of all black development at that period was 2009 when we lost three tests to South Africa um, and that was a big learning curve for us all. And I know that was on the back of that, we sort of placed a lot more emphasis on our, our, player, our leadership group. Um, and so that was really, you know, where I felt my uh, involvement was, you know, uh, but it really started from about 2009, 2010. And, and did you look, Conrad, at what had been done in 07, but also kind of what was not done in 07? To win a World Cup and say, right, let's let's see what we can implement here, uh, going towards 2011 in New Zealand. Yeah, for sure, that that was um, a big part of it. And to be honest, you know, like I know, within the wider public, you start talking about World Cups as soon as one finishes. You start thinking about the next one. But for players, you know, especially All Blacks, we just as much as we were, we had a mind towards 2011 as players. 2008 was just about sort of um, getting credibility and respect back to the all-black jersey that we felt we'd probably lost with our quarter-final exit. Um, so for the couple of years there, we, I know we weren't thinking about a World Cup at that stage. Um, that, that sort of obviously came into the picture, you know, when we got a bit closer. The coaches might have thought about it earlier on, but, you know, for us it was sort of only probably at the end of 2010 and then in uh, 2011 itself. And then, of course, 2011 itself started with everyone talking about the World Cup that was going to be hosted in New Zealand. And then you had the, the Christchurch earthquake and uh, the Pike River mine disaster, which, a bit like our current situation here with the coronavirus, just puts rugby into perspective. How did those events impact on, on players in New Zealand? Not even just the All Blacks, but just rugby and rugby players in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, because a lot of the guys were from Christchurch and had to deal with the actual realities of this this earthquake, especially. Yeah, I mean, it changed. Obviously, it took place really part of Super Rugby, and obviously, the effect that the Crusaders the most being you know team based there, and they were played the entire competition on the road. Um, and then for us, you know, playing games there, we were traveling to different places. But yeah, you're right. The effect was sort of bigger than that, and um, and and yeah, I, I suppose it. it uh, it makes it, it puts the game into perspective, and, and for New Zealanders as well, it was maybe a good thing. You know, we we stopped 
being obsessed with the World Cup for a few months and, um, you know, were worried about how everyone was and, uh, and, and it wasn't, you know, till really at the end of that Super Rugby season um, that sort of the, the you know, the, the focus shifted back to that World Cup, but for, but for players, obviously, right through the build-up, it was a, a big focus of ours to, you know, to give something back to, to the city of Christchurch. And you know, I know we based ourselves, we knew we weren't going to play games there, um, but we spent a lot of time down there and um, visit, you know, the, the city and tried to make them feel, um, you know, lift the spirits a little bit of, of that community. And it was something, you know, we it was uh, pretty close to the group and, and something we talked about a lot and used, I think, as a little bit of motivation, you know, throughout the, the World Cup. Jump forward now to the actual tournaments and, uh, you know, Auckland is absolutely packed. Tonga was the opening game, your first match, and was hack is going on all over the, the city and it was, it was just crazy. Was that sense of kind of national pride and we're hosting this tournament was that extra pressure for you guys, or was it one of those things that just carried you into the into the tournament in a really positive frame of mind? Yeah, I, it was obviously something we'd talked about a lot, um, and you know about dealing with the pressure and um, how it was, how we were going to have to react to it. And um, I, I think you know, looking back, it was something we 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 put a lot of time into, and it was time well spent. You know, we. Um, I, I just remember really enjoying it. Like there was obviously pressure there and, and we weren't going to hide away from it. But the fact, you know, we, we took little steps that we hadn't done before in previous World Cups. Like we we wanted to stay based, at, you know, in the heart of the cities and actually really enjoy it. Like you talk about, um, you know, the, the buzz of the, the World Cup and on the viaduct, particularly in Auckland at the start. And we were just up the road and I, th- you know, that was brilliant. But rather than, you know, what we've done in other World Cups, you know, find a hotel right out of the city and sort of feel like it's going to take the pressure off. I, I, I think we'd learned that's the wrong approach. But um, to actually embrace it and, and try and, um, you know, get a sense of the, the occasion um, and, and use that as motivation. I think that was really good. You know, the guys were, when the time the game came along, sure there was pressure, but, you know, we were up for it and um, we, we really enjoyed it. And the games went on and uh, things kicked off and New Zealand embraced it. And it was all going well then until Dan Carter went down in training. And, uh, and also Richie McCall towards the end of the tournament then wasn't training. He had some kind of foot injury. Are those the things that you prepare for in advance and just deal with it when it happens? Is that kind of you know what they talk about, that staying strong mentally, even though your, your playmaker is gone and your captain rely on is is struggling yeah well i i think what we did you know when you like we mentioned before looking back on our failures at world cups we it, it was because it wasn't because we weren't prepared if anything we were we were over prepared you know our form and going into every world cup was brilliant we had great squads we had great players but we weren't dealing with the unexpected which world cups throws out you know you've got teams that coming to play and they're going to play better than they ever have you know there'll be teams this is our past record was that we were getting you know um, surprised I I suppose by because the teams that we'd met for three or four years leading up to World Cup would be easily but only they were playing brand of football or the players were producing rugby that we'd never seen and it was sort of catching us off guard and so if there was anything we were going to do this time is to be prepared for for 
for abnormalities, for, for teams to play out of their skin, for referees' calls to not go away, for the weather, or for injuries. And, you know, and we said before we're never going to guess how it's going to go wrong for us, but it will go wrong. And, and it proved to be correct. You know, we, we, we never talked about three first fives getting injured. You know, our other <laughs> Mills Murain or the other, you know, guy I often forget. Like, he was our... You know, behind Dan Mills was the the man with the, the most tests, and um, you know he was he went down injured, and you know suddenly I was the most kept back, and you know <laughs> kept me awake at night. I can tell you, so little, little things like that. Um, you know, it just started from early on. You know, the way we were losing players, but instead of getting nervous, it was sort of like, okay, this is what we talked about. You know, this is what we knew. Um, this is the thing that's going to try and unsettle us and we've just got to do our best to, to keep you know, on task and not make the mistakes we had in the past and actually just keep playing good footy and try and win rugby games. You got past Australia in the semi-finals and then uh, France 8-7 in, in the final. Probably one of the most tense matches uh, ever played at that level. Um, do you have any one particular memory from that final? If there was one, just, you know, because I get asked about it a lot, it was waiting for them to, to kick. They had a kick um, to go ahead and and talking to Brad Thorne and Richie and saying, um, like I was saying before, like, this is what we expect. We, we, at that stage, it just wasn't going well for us. And we would said, again, in the lead-up, there'd be a game, maybe two games like this, where despite our preparation, you know, who knows what... It, Things just weren't. We weren't going to wipe the team, the opposition off the field. We were going to have to grind this out, and we were. I was expecting the kick to go over, and I was just talking about how we were going to go down and get three points, you know, and what we could do. And and it was, I was, yeah, strangely calm. And I just remember talking about like, all right, let's go get three points because it wasn't working. Obviously, Donald on the stage, the boys were a bit rattled, and. Um, it didn't feel like we were going to score tries, but I still felt, you know, we can win this game. We just get back down there half, get three points. And, um, and yeah, and then obviously the kick missed and um, we just held on. <laughs> and was it a relief then at the final whistle? Yeah, very much. It was um, even, it's not something, you know, a lot of guys will say, you don't sort of, not straight away, but yeah, I still sort of remember big Ali Williams, you know, throwing him in the air and he sort of, I just remember not even having the energy to celebrate. It was like, you know, it was a, it was a great feeling, don't get me wrong, but um, it's one that doesn't sort of sink in straight away. It uh, takes a bit of time on. Let's look forward. Let's move on then to 2015, Conrad. And in, in terms of forward planning, you said earlier, like the players don't get immersed in that because it's really just about, you know, taking your holidays then and getting back into Super Rugby or whatever. But in terms of you, Dan Carter, Richard, Richie McCall, all took sabbaticals. Was that something that was uh, written into contracts or was that something that the NZ or you wanted you guys to do to look forward to 2015? Um, no, that, that was all, yeah, it was all very, very personal, um, you know, like, and, and it's probably reflected in the, you know, what we all did. You know, it was Dan wanted to, you know, go play and play overseas. It was something he was passionate about. For me, it was, uh, I just wanted to, travel around the world with my wife and, you know, see a few things. So, and then Richie just wanted a break, I think. You know, he just wanted, he played, obviously, so much footy and that was more for his body. Um, but, yes, yeah, so it was just a matter of, 
um, renegotiation with New Zealand and, you know, all of us were different, but we all wanted to stay in New Zealand and but they were aware of the, the toll it was taking. So, you know, when it came to the contract, it was sort of just them asking you, you know, what do you want? And, you know, then finding a way through it. And so I think that's all, um, all, all how it happened. And in terms of the fact that a lot of players are probably on an enforced sabbatical now and, and for certainly for the next few weeks, is it something you'd recommend? Is it something that was good for your body, especially at that age and having played so many caps, uh, both internationally and with Super Rugby? Yeah, for sure. And and I, I suppose for me it was, you know, I played through a period where it went from what I felt, you know, the, a normal season was quite manageable. Um, you, you could play every game. You probably even not even hit 30 games um, to where, you know, by the end you could easily play, um, you know, mid-30s. And I only had sort of one season and um, I knew it was too much. I got to an India tour which when I started my career, the India tours were out and out the, my favourite time of year. You'd had, normally play your Tri-Nations, have a good little break, um, and then come into India tour. It was, you know, you were fresh. You, were, you knew you were having a big break after that, where, you know, but pretty quickly, five or six years later, the rugby championship um, ran straight into the India tour. And by the end of it, you know, and our results showed when you know I started India tours we were amazing for four weeks and then we were suddenly dropping games particularly at the end of our tour um, we just weren't as sharp um, and obviously Northern Hemisphere team started I think playing a little bit better um, but yeah it was it was an effect on, on the players and the team as a whole so you know for me it was uh, it was always obvious you know um, I'd always play a lot better rugby when uh, decent break and, and my body felt fresh. And I suppose then going forward to the tournament in, in 2015, South Africa upset by Japan very early. Had you guys been, and you talked about Northern Hemisphere teams playing that bit better, had you guys looked at the threats? I know you all backs always talk about we only focus on ourselves, but had you looked at some of the threats from teams like Ireland and England? Obviously England as hosts were probably the the number one going into it from uh, from from the northern hemisphere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think you asked most guys. I've, I've said it before. I, I I think England were the team that worried me the most. Um, you know, they'd beaten us pretty well. Um, you know, it was a couple of years before that World Cup, but uh, you know, and they had a good group of players. I think in Stuart Lancaster, there was a, a new coach that had given the team a. Um, I don't know, it was, it was an attitude about them um, which we expected, I think it's fair to say, a little bit more than in the past, whereas, um, you know, and because they were, you know, that they played a really good brand of football, um, they're approachable, they, they, there was noticeable difference in their attitude after games, um, even when, you know, when they had the three-test tour down in New Zealand, they were, um, you know, we, we had a... We had a whole lot more respect for them, I think it's fair to say. And, and going into that, it was, um, yeah, there was, there was been a few nerves about um, meeting them, you know, in a final. I think if we'd both progressed at the top of our pools, we would have met them in a final. And um, so, yeah, they, they were one team. And obviously, Ireland, the form they'd shown. Um, and, you know, the whole, the whole lot of them were, I'd say, by that stage, the tours were getting a lot harder and we were, we were dropping games because, um, you know, the teams in the North were playing 
a lot better rugby. And so you got through the pools, you hammered France in the quarterfinal, which kind of put 2007 to bed. You beat South Africa in the rain in the semi-finals, and then on to Australia in the final. After kind of two months away, all those matches back to back, media commitments, activations, fans, traveling around, hotels, buses, are you relying on adrenaline at the very end of a Rugby World Cup to get you through the big test? In the, the seventh match at the very end, which is the pinnacle of the of the four year cycle. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> I mean, you, we're pretty well managed, you know. Like I, I think the All Blacks, <clears throat> particularly, you know, do a great job of <clears throat> looking after us um, both through the year and then even through the tournament itself. Like there would have been no one, you know, now starting fifteen. I, <clears throat> I don't think that would have started every match. Um, certainly wouldn't have played, you know, eighty minutes of. Most, most of the games so <clears throat> and yeah obviously to be at a World Cup final so you're well looked after the training's very minimal by that stage final week I remember um, we might you know one Thursday training that would be at full full level full intensity for all of 10 15 months so um, but other than that you know it's, it's a it's a big mental game and uh, everyone's <clears throat> You know, at the top of the game because it is a World Cup final. If you if you've managed it well, then your your body's in good shape too. So, uh, you know, I know myself. You know, to that final was, you know, feeling great, and that that's probably a credit as much to the the coaching staff and the medical team as to um, you know the, the group of us players that um, knew that's where we wanted to be. So, uh, I think that's the way we sort of planned the, the whole year, really. And then you won it, uh, and I'm sure it was nice to win against the old enemy that was Australia. I suppose the final question, Conrad, you did, you know, you and your team did the back-to-back, uh, and then you moved up to France uh, to, to, to play and, and eventually coach in Poe. Do you think it's possible for the All Blacks to do a back-to-back Ruby World Cup win again, given that so many guys are now moving north way before they finished their time with New Zealand, and it's it, obviously you know for financial reasons or whatever. It's it's harder for New Zealand to keep that talent, that that brain drain to Europe is 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 an issue. Uh, I don't know. To be honest, yeah, I've never thought of it like that. I um, I'd, I'd hate to say it was impossible because I know that would be as a you know when I was an All Black, if I heard that, that would be the number one motivation to go do it. So. Um, you know, I'd, I'd never say that um, beyond an all-black team. Um, but you are right, um, no doubt, in saying it's it will be get, it's going to get harder and harder. I, my immediate the, the reason for me that it will continue to get harder is that the game is becoming more and more global, and you know, so not just the talent that New Zealanders look and player-wise, but I, I think the the IP that's just being spread around the world. And so now you're just going to see, you know, Northern Hemisphere teams, as long as they have great competitions, which they do, um, and great, you know, levels, and then they'll just get better and better. And so it'll be harder when you get to a World Cup, when they're more and more competitive to be the one that happens to win it. it it's just going to be, as the margins are so small. So then to do that again, you know, four years later, it's, um, it's going to require a bit of luck, you know. Probably we needed a bit of luck to get it, you know, twice. South Africa needed a bit of luck to win it this time around. So it's 
there's that's why I think it's going to be harder and harder. You look at the the, the course of World Cups over time. You know, there are more and more teams capable of winning it, and I, I cannot see that changing. And, and so that's why it'll be harder for for any team to to win it um, back to back in the years to come. Perfect. Listen, Conrad, great to chat to you, and um, thanks very much for taking the time. Pleasure. You're listening to the Players Podcast. Log on to rugbyplayers.org for more. My thanks to Conrad, and if you want to have a look at the interview, it's up on rugbyplayers.org or on our YouTube channel. Just search for International Rugby Players. That's it for now. Until the next time, take care and stay safe.